Let's open our Bibles this evening to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This evening we will read verses 9 and 10. Brethren, let us hear the very Word of God. Verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto unto Dalmatia. May our God in heaven bless the reading of His Word to our hearts this evening. Brethren, there are many passages and themes in Scripture which delight the child of God to read, which delight the pastors of God's flocks to preach, and yet there are some that are very sobering. They do not delight the heart, yet they are equally God's Word and there for a reason, to encourage, to edify, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort the Lord's children. And such a sobering passage is before us this evening. I would fix your attention here in verse 10 on these words. Having loved this present world. That's the title of this message. The Word of God tells us that the Apostle Paul had a circle of companions, a group of fellow workers who labored alongside him in the preaching of the Gospel. Timothy was one of his most beloved companions. And in this passage, Paul longs for Timothy to join him. And that longing is clearly fueled by what we find in verse 10. Demas hath forsaken me. Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Come quickly to me. Because Demas has left. We can hear the aching of his heart, I trust, as we consider these very sobering words. Demas was a man who made a clear, open profession of Christ. He enjoyed unparalleled privileges in the company of the greatest apostle. And yet, he sinned in a most extraordinary and tragic way. This verse, which to me is one of the most sobering in all the New Testament, concerns this man, Demas, and his sin. It's very brief, and yet it speaks volumes. 
Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. It is, a, it is fascinating and it is mysterious to ponder what the Holy Spirit tells us and what He doesn't tell us about the characters found in its pages. We don't know how old Demas was. We don't know the place he was born or where he grew up. He may have been a Thessalonian. There, is, there seems to be some connection with him in Thessalonica. This is certainly where he went. There are some that conjecture that because he is seen in the company of a, another one from Thessalonica, that he may have been from there. But we don't know that for sure. That is simply a deduction on our part. We don't know if he uh, were married. We don't know how he met Paul. We don't know when or how he came to make a profession of faith in Christ. We don't know how he came to be among Paul's fellow workers, this inner circle of men that traveled with him. We don't know when or how he died. And we don't know if he was ever recovered from this great sin. But we do know this. He loved the present world. The glorious salvation revealed in the gospel of grace is the most precious sound the human ear can ever hear. Forgiveness of sin by faith in the crucified and resurrected Lord and Savior is the most exalted and majestic thought the human mind can ever ponder. The virgin birth, the perfect life, the awful crucifixion, the triumphant resurrection, and the glorious ascension of the Lord Jesus is the most extraordinary, extraordinary work that ever has been or ever will be done on behalf of of sinful men. When a sinner hears the gospel sound and knows that there is no hope for his soul but the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ, there can be no greater release for his burdened soul. There can be no greater joy for the human heart. There can be no greater peace for the restless conscience. Demas learned these truths. Demas heard these truths from the lips of the great apostle. And for a time, he professed these truths and labored alongside Paul. Let's consider Demas. Let's consider his profession. Let's consider his privileges. And let's consider his sin. <clears throat> let's begin with Demas's profession. There can be no question but that Demas made a good, credible profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In those days, it was dangerous to be a Christian. 
You didn't walk an aisle somewhere, sign a card, and then go home and watch television until you die. Living in your nice, comfortable home and hardly ever knowing any persecution as we have in our country. It cost to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. No one could have been a part of the inner circle of Paul's friends and co-laborers without an open and apparently steadfast declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. Even John Mark the writer of the second gospel was rejected by Paul for a missionary journey because he once departed Paul's company. Here is a man greatly used of God, but Paul said, you're not going because he faltered at one point. So Demas must have appeared to be a stalwart of the faith. Quite certainly, Demas was by all outward appearances a committed Christian, a faithful laborer in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Demas had a credible profession of faith. But Demas loved this present world. Let us consider for a few moments the privileges of Demas. What makes the tragic story of Demas so ironic is that he was a man blessed with the greatest spiritual privileges. Among his innumerable blessings was a company of most Holy companions. Scripture tells us, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13.20 So Demas clearly must have shown a desire for righteousness and what appeared to be a hunger for the company of wise Men, humble men who loved Christ and were willing to sacrifice all to take the gospel far and wide. Demas was in the front line of the Lord's troops, so to speak, on the cutting edge as a companion of Paul. And yet Demas loved this present world. Let's survey just a few of the faithful servants of Christ with whom Demas kept company. If you take your concordance, you can find Demas and the company that he is in. I won't take the time to read that to you tonight. But one of the men that is listed alongside of Demas is a man named Aristarchus. What Christian would not earnestly covet a friend and fellow laborer like Aristarchus? 
He was a Thessalonian who was probably converted under Paul's preaching in Thessalonica and who went with Paul on his third missionary journey. He also journeyed with Paul on his return to Asia and later to Rome. He too was a prisoner with Paul for the sake of the gospel. He not only preached the gospel, he not only experienced the glory and the joys of the gospel of grace, but he suffered for the name of Christ. This clearly means he was a loyal, faithful, courageous man who loved Jesus Christ more than life and comfort. Brethren, do we know that here? Do we know that in this country? Aristarchus knew it. He knew the cost. He poured out his life and strength furthering the gospel of Christ with little regard for the enormous personal cost of following the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't it be an unspeakable privilege to be in the company of a man like that? Wouldn't you like to just stand in the light that He surely radiated in His love for the Lord, His anointing of the Spirit, Wouldn't such fellowship be an incredible encouragement to the soul? Wouldn't it strengthen our walks and bless our hearts? Would it not build us up in the most holy faith to be a companion of such a one? Demas had such a privilege. Yet Demas loved the present world. Nestled in his heart, under what appeared to be a good testimony, was a secret love for the things of this life. Demas had a, a companion named Epaphras. What Christian would not earnestly covet a friend and fellow laborer like Epaphras? Epaphras was a man of prayer. As Paul wrote in Colossians 4, verses 12 and 13, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Who wouldn't cherish the fellowship of one who labored fervently in prayer. Brethren, is that not a joy of this life? To be with someone who's not a stranger to prayer? Is it not a blessing to the soul to be in the presence of one who's frequently pouring out his heart to the living God, to one who clearly prays as a friend of God? as a child of God, is that not encouragement for the soul? You tell me anything in this life that builds you up more than to get on your knees with a brother or or sister who is a fervent prayer warrior. Oh! How that strengthens and encourages the heart. I love the prayer of the saints. I love it in the mornings when we gather before we labor for Christ 
in the ministries of this church. And to hear the men of God lift up their hearts and their voices to the Almighty, giving praise and thanksgiving, offering up supplications, calling upon the Lord for strength, pleading with Him for mercies, blessing Him for His great works in our lives. Oh, brethren, what joy that is to the heart. Is not prayer the very essence of what we should be as Christians? Prayer is the very expression of life, divine life, in the soul of man. Epaphras was clearly a man who loved the saints of God. A man who took to heart Christ's command to love one another. We see this in the contents of Epaphras' prayers. He prayed for perfection of the saints. Oh Lord, have mercy on this brother, on this sister, on this congregation. Strengthen them. Build them up in the faith. Bring them to maturity in Christ. Grant them strength for the day. Fill them with your spirit. Grant them wisdom. Grant them light. Oh, we love to think of a man praying like that for us. And so it was. He prayed for maturity in their walk. What else does Paul say about Epaphras? He says, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and not mere zeal only. Brethren, he says, A great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them that are in Hierapolis. Here's a man with a burning heart. Here's a man of zeal. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to use the word great. He has great zeal for you. Brethren, have you not had a brother bow his head with you in your presence and say, "Oh, Father in heaven, have mercy on my brother today." Strengthen him in his walk and encourage him and build him up in the faith. Has that not given you joy? Has that not lightened your step? This is the kind of man Epaphras was. We know that Scripture tells us, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Brethren, Epaphras was such a man. The grace of God had made him a, a zealot of prayer. The gospel of God's grace makes a zealous people, a red-hot people, a people boiling over a good works. Wouldn't it be an unspeakable privilege to be in the company of an Epaphras? Would not such fellowship be an encouragement to us? Would it strengthen our walks? Bless our souls. Would it not build us up? 
in this most holy faith that we confess together. Demas had that privilege. But Demas loved the present world. Another of Demas's companions was John Mark, who we mentioned earlier. What Christian would not earnestly covet a friend and fellow worker like John Mark? Mark's mother was named Mary. She was a godly woman whose home was a haven of prayer for early Christians. Acts chapter 12, verse 12 says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, that's John Mark, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. John Mark was the author of the Gospel of Mark and a fellow laborer with the Apostle Peter who wrote, The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you. And so doth Marcus. That's Mark, my son. He accompanied Barnabas and Saul, or, or Paul, on their first missionary journey. What miracles did John Mark witness? What extraordinary outpourings of the Spirit were part of his daily Christian experience? What conversions did he behold? And what wisdom did he learn at the side of Paul and Barnabas? What incredible knowledge he had of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as the author of that blessed gospel. Would it not be an unspeakable privilege to be in company of such a well-instructed, experienced, holy man of God? Demas had such a privilege. Demas loved the present world. Dr. Luke was one of Demas's companions. <clears throat> what Christian would not earnestly covet a friend and fellow laborer like Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, was also a companion of our Demas. Luke, who was probably a Gentile, and it is possible that Demas was as well, must have tended to Paul's health while he was in prison. Luke was a fellow laborer with Paul in the work of the gospel. He wrote the gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Now, brethren, believe it or not, those two books together actually are more of the New Testament than all of the epistles that Paul wrote. We think Paul wrote more of the New Testament. He did by individual epistles. But Luke wrote the massive volumes of his gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. What an extraordinary knowledge he had of the life of Christ and of the lives of the Apostles. The unbelievable, if I can use that term, the extraordinary, the mind-stretching miracles that he could sit and set his pen to paper about. He wrote at the beginning of his gospel, It seemed good to me, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. He's not bragging. 
He just says, I understand all of this. I, I know the truths that I'm about to set forth. Wouldn't it be an unspeakable privilege to keep company who had that encyclopedic knowledge? The life of Christ and the acts of the apostles? Wouldn't it be an unspeakable privilege to keep company with one who could say, as Luke does at the beginning of Acts, the former treatise, meaning his gospel, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day <clears throat> in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Brethren, what a joy it would be to be in the company of a man like that. Tell me again, Luke, about this extraordinary event in Paul's life. Tell me again, beloved Luke, about Christ and His birth. Tell me again about the disciples on the road to Emmaus and how the Lord Jesus Christ taught them. What stories he could tell. What stories Demas must have heard. Would not such fellowship be an encouragement to us? Brethren, would it not strengthen our walks and bless our souls? Would it not build us up in this most holy faith? Demas had such a privilege. Yet Demas loved this present world. Finally, let's consider Paul. What Christian would not earnestly covet a friend and fellow laborer like the Apostle Paul? The great Apostle to the Gentiles. Who wouldn't love just to sit in his presence? Tell me what happened at Ephesus, Paul. Tell me again about the Philippian jailer and all that happened at Philippi. Tell us that story about how the Spirit fell upon Lydia and opened her heart. You began that great work there at Philippi. Oh, let us hear again how the Lord Jesus came in His resurrected glory and met with you and drew you to Himself. Tell us, Paul. Paul had seen the beloved Lord. He said, At midday, O king, Agrippa, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon my feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Here is a man who was personally taught by the resurrected Sovereign of the universe, the Lord of glory. 
the walking encyclopedia of Christian experience. The Corinthian church is out of order. Here's what you need to do. Straighten this out. Put this man out. Stop suing yourselves. Walk together in love and unity. And he wrote to all of these glorious churches, writing the epistles that were kept for us to instruct us in the life of those who are disciples of Christ. The teacher and founder of the churches throughout the Roman Empire, a worker of miracles, a man caught up to the third heaven visions. Revelations of Christ Himself. Faithful, gracious, humble, educated, brilliant, experienced, filled with the Holy Ghost, apostle to the Gentiles and one who loved Christ more than life Himself, writing several of His epistles from jail, beaten, stoned, left for dead, hated by his own kinsmen, who he would happily have died for if it would have done them any good. What a man! Would it not be an unspeakable privilege to keep company with one who could say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept faith. Would not such fellowship be an encouragement for us? Would it not strengthen our walks and bless our hearts? Would it not build us up in the most holy faith? Dear friends, Demas was the companion of Paul. And yet Demas loved this present world. Is this not sobering? When we consider the weak vessels of dust that we are, when we consider that perhaps many of us will live all of our lives and never know a co-laborer in the gospel, this mighty, the character of any of these men, Oh, brethren, let us guard our hearts. Let's consider Demas' sin. It is clear by what we see here that privilege does not necessarily make us a Christian. And brethren, we have many privileges right here. Let's think about Demas' heart for a few minutes, if we can. Now, we can't see the heart, and I'm not saying that we can. We can only see what he ultimately did. J.C. Ryle wrote this, A man may go great lengths, and yet never reach true holiness. It is not knowledge, Balaam had that, nor great profession, Judas Iscariot had that, nor doing many things. 
had that. Nor zeal for certain matters in religion. Jehu had that. Nor morality and outward respectability of conduct. The rich young ruler had that. Nor taking pleasure in hearing preachers. The Jews in Ezekiel's time had that. Nor keeping company with godly people. Joab and Gehazi and Demas had that. Yet none of these were holy. These things alone are not holiness. A man may have any of them and yet never see the Lord. Demas clearly fits the pattern of the third soil in Luke 8. Demas stands as a testimony of the eternal truths of Christ's parable of the four soils. Christ Jesus taught, and some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Explaining this, Jesus said, That which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The time came when Demas' heart was exposed for what was truly in it. At this time in Paul's life, he was facing jail again. Apparently, Demas was a companion of Paul in his first time in prison. And somewhere along the line, when they faced that trial again, Demas said, The world looks better. Its comforts, its pleasures look better than that jail. Brethren, it's easy in our culture to say, Oh, yes! Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, here's my five points right here. I wear them. I'm a Christian. But, oh, brethren, many of us have never been tried in the crucible. Oh, could it be that a Demas lurks among us? Is there Demas in the pulpit? I tremble before God. Demas went further than perhaps many of us have ever considered going. And yet Demas loved the present world. The day came when the true love of his heart Christ and His testimony were comfort in the world. And His heart laid hold and bowed to its idol. Demas clearly fits the pattern of the apostate in Hebrews 6. Demas had been enlightened. He tasted of the heavenly gift. He'd been made a partaker of the Holy Spirit. He had tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the world to come. He'd seen and experienced these things in the company of holy men.
But though Demas had a credible profession and unspeakable privileges, Demas loved the present world. At least one of the early church fathers records that Demas also became a priest of idols. Now, since this is not recorded in Scripture, we cannot say with any certainty. Perhaps, perhaps, Demas was like John Mark and was later recovered. But the Word doesn't tell us. So what the Word of God and the Holy Spirit clearly records for us is for us to sit up and take careful examination of our hearts. Take inventory, brethren. What is the desire of your heart? It isn't recorded that Demas was recovered. But it is recorded that Demas forsook the preaching of the Gospel, walking with Christ, taking up the cross and following after Him because he loved this present world. God's, God's Word says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Brethren, the Lord brings us into the fiery trials and tribulations of this life to bring our dross to the top and to purify us. So it was with Demas. Again, Ryle says, it requires something more than privileges to save souls. Joab was David's captain. Gehazi was Elijah's servant. Demas was Paul's companion. Judas Iscariot was Christ's disciple. And Lot had a worldly, unbelieving wife. These all died in their sins they went down to the pit in spite of knowledge, warnings, and opportunities. And they all teach us that it is not privileges alone that men need. They need, and I need, and you need the preserving grace of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's not simply saying, I'm going to make it. The rewriting of the modern hymn, of the of the, the the modern rewrite of the old hymn, says, "Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it." That was not the way it was originally written. It was, "Praise the mount, oh, fix me on it." It's a world of difference. We sing with fleshly pride, sometimes not even realizing what we're saying. Oh, praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. But the writer originally knew and understood and his intention was better than the modern rewrite. Praise the mount. Oh, fix me on it. Seal it for thy courts above. Brethren, that's what it was about. You, Lord... Guide me home. Brethren, let us never look to ourselves. Let us not look to our strengths, nor to our gifts, nor to our privileges, nor to our knowledge as such. But let us look to Him who will never leave us, nor forsake us. It is exactly the same word. 
in Greek, it says, Demas hath forsaken me. It is later written and says, He will never leave thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's very strong. It's a powerful word. Brethren, let us consider that Paul didn't see any flaws in Demas, apparently, until he left. If he did, they're not recorded. Perhaps when they discussed the reasons for his departure, Demas's heart blatantly manifested itself for the first time. Demas, don't go. Why would you leave? You've been with me thus far. Maybe he gave explanations. Maybe he was just quiet. There's some people when they leave the congregation have nothing to say. But the moment finally arrived when he could no longer deny that his comforts and his pleasures took first place in his heart over Jesus Christ. What Ryle said about Lot's wife is appropriate here. He says, Her heart was in Sodom, though her body was outside. She had left her affections behind when she fled from her home. Her eye turned to the place where her treasure was as the compass needle turns to the pole. So it was with Demas. Whatever the circumstances were, though his body was with Paul, his heart was in the world. It was at Thessalonica. And the compass needle of his heart pointed away from Christ to its true idol. Brethren, what does James say? The friendship of the world is enmity with God. Demas loved this present world. These are sobering thoughts, are they not? They do not rejoice the heart like the glories of justification, but they are here in the Scriptures to remind us that simply the profession of justification in Christ is not all there is to walking with the Lord day by day. We must have justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And if that is true of us, if that is a spirit regenerated profession of faith, we will go on with the Lord Jesus. Demas had godly companions and genuine fellowship. He had real experiences in the things of Christ. He had missionary zeal. He saw firsthand the miracles that abounded in Paul's apostolic ministry. And for a time, he even suffered for the sake of the gospel. But Demas loved this present world. Examine your own hearts, brethren. Not by your record of how well you're doing. But turn and cast yourself entirely upon Christ, who loves and keeps His true children. 
It doesn't take long for the love of the trinkets of the world to take hold of our hearts and take first place. It doesn't take long for the weeds of the world to take root in our souls. It doesn't take long for sensuous things in this world to take first place in our eyes, in our ears, in the rest of our senses. It doesn't take long for the songs of this world to take the place of the songs of Zion. Oh, brethren, let us cast ourselves in faith entirely upon the mercies and the grace of Christ. Let us flee from every wicked thing. Let us keep our hearts and minds fixed upon the eternal truths of our Lord. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Let us remember Demas, who loved this present world. And let us trust wholeheartedly in the promises of Christ Jesus the Lord. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. 
It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.